I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, friends. Just a quick note at the top of the show, just to say that we recorded this a couple of weeks ago, uh, pre-lockdown. Danny and I were in the same room physically when we recorded this episode. So some of the coronavirus chat is a little out of date, something too horrendous, just something to keep in mind. You know, I thought it was relevant context. And I apologize for the slow editing. I've apologized to Danny. I'm apologizing to you. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm sorry that you won't be able to physically go to the cinema to see either of the films that, that we recommend or slate on this episode, however it turns out. All right, bye. Hey, Danny, you seen that film Long Shot? Have I? I've only just bloody watched it. <laughs> You've just watched it. It's on Netflix. I, it was, I was just thinking. I was just thinking about Longshot. I'm actually always thinking about it. Yeah, but I've, like, I haven't watched it. What are the chances Danny's seen it? It's I saw. A, it's I a saw. A, I saw a trailer for it, and I. Uh, it's just there was something about it that just really stuck in my stuck in my mind. Seth Rogen, Charlize Theron. Uh, how would they ever get together? Mad. But they but they must do in the film. Yeah. They do. So, <laughs> <laughs> not to spoil the ending, but that happens. So, 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 so t- take me through it. Well, it's kind of like a, I guess, a, a gender reversed rom com in a way, where Shai Theron is like the sort of Secretary of State, and she's very popular and but overworked, but she's always got to present herself to the world, and she's kind of gearing up for a presidential run, and then she hires this guy Fred Flasky. Played by Seth Rogen. Fred Flasky. It's like Flask. It's like a nickname. She's called him Flasky. Okay. And uh, they used to be neighbors, and she used to babysit him. And he's now a journalist, and he becomes a speechwriter. But then sparks fly. They start a relationship, but because he's a sort of typical Seth Rogen kind of pot smoking, you know, nice guy, but not the most president first. Uh, sure. First he doesn't manish. necessarily scrub up well. Exactly. Or- you know, he might jeopardize her campaign. It's an okay movie. It's kind of like just fine. Everyone in it is very charming. There's nothing like particularly hilarious about it, but nothing very bad about it. The thing I found funniest about it, which wasn't actually like a joke, is that Andy Serkis is in it as like the sort of evil big business guy who tries to blackmail her. But he's under like 
loads of prosthetics. He's got like a wig and like uh, you know like a false nose. Maybe it's like an American Hustle character. Or something. Yeah, he's like an old like like an oil man or something. It's like he's an oil man. It's like can Andy Serkis just never play himself in a film, even in sort of like random throwaway comedy? It's like yeah, I'll be in it. It's like get me the makeup team. I must transform into an old man. It's like I don't know. He looks pretty normal in Black Panther, but he does have that metal arm. Yeah, and an accent. He's always doing a lot of acting. That's true. Yeah, he yeah he does have an accent. Have you ever seen him play just like a normal? What about when he was the, the cook in King Kong? He's still sort of doing he's it. He's doing a he's doing an accent. Has he ever done his actual accent? I don't even know how he sounds when he talks. Just just he sounds like this. He sounds like you. <laughs> no, I was hoping you're gonna like drop in some audio, Andy Circus. Oh, I see. <laughs> I he you were just like demonstrating. This. Hello, I'm Andy Circus. <laughs> I once met Andy Circus. Because I interned at his production company. Yeah. Well, actually, I interned at Ealing, at Ealing Studios, which is next door to Imaginarium, inside the Ealing Studios lot. Mm-hmm. And one time, I was making a cup of tea, and he was also making a cup of tea. And he was le- we were both leaving the kitchen at the same time, and he's like, "No, no, before you, before oh, you." So he's a gentleman. Bloody gentleman. But maybe he was method acting that as a, to be a role, but he's not really I think like he that. He was in just about to star in the film Gentleman as the the, the gentleman, <laughs> yeah, as the main character. Yeah, he was in deep in pre-production <laughs> deep, on the gentleman. Deep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, worth. I mean, it's on Netflix. Hey, we're all self-isolating now, so what, so watch Longshot. Put it on. Put it on. Why not? Um. So so give us the give us the lowdown on the pod. The pod, you want to know what it's about? Yeah, I do. Okay, so Film Chat is a podcast set in the dystopian future of 2017, where an ex-army officer, Sam Foster, and his wife, Danny Moran, are attempting to cross the Canada-United States border to Vancouver to have a second child because strict one-child policies forbid a second pregnancy, even though we've lost our first child due to miscarriage. So I wear a magnetic vest to trick the security scanners, but a guard notices and raises the alarm. I escape, but Sam, you're caught and sentenced to 31 years at the Fortress, a private maximum security prison run by the Mentel Corporation. To maintain discipline, all inmates are implanted with the intestinators, which induce severe pain or death as a form of physical control and mental conditioning. The prison is co-run by Director Poe, who oversees Z10, a computer that monitors day-to-day activities. The prison is located underground in the middle of the desert inside a deep pit that could only be crossed by a retractable bridge. Is what I would be saying. <laughs> this is a adaptation of the phenomenally prophetic film Fortress, which came out in 1992. So 2017 was, you know, it was a long way away. 25 years. Yeah, but they might, they might only be a few years off. You know, it feels like the beginning of the end times. Don't want to overblow it, but yeah, you know, all these like crazy sci-fi films that were set in like the early noughties, like they could just be. Yeah. could be about to happen. It could be about to happen. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and joining me is a man who will stop and get nothing to get out of that bloody fortress <laughs> so he can reunite with his wife and his child, Sam Foster. Hello. Uh, on this week's episode, we're going to offer you a choice of two ways to fight racist colonial oppression, a combination of leafleting and jailbreaks would be option A, or violent righteous killings. Option B. If uh, the former is your bio, check out Escape from Pretoria about anti-apartheid protesters coming up with a wacky and implausible but based in fact method of breaking out of prison. And if you prefer the latter, then I can uh, recommend Baccarat, a Brazilian slow burn thriller about a small town under siege from mysterious assailants. Plus, we're also checking in with the deadliest threat 
of coronavirus, its impact on the film industry. All that should leave just enough time for me to begin production on my latest film project, a $200 million epic remake of Spartacus. I had to, had to speak to Lord Nolan to secure that cash, but you know, he's got a lot of faith yeah, in me. Yeah, sure, sure. And Warner Brothers had a lot of faith in him, so he's got a lot of sway. Uh, unfortunately, because of the self-isolation required by coronavirus, I will have to shoot the film entirely inside my own flat. Um, but I still have the budget. Nolan's uh, convinced them to maintain that, so I will be using all of that money, most of it largely on CGI, because it will be necessary to transform you know, my sofa into a Roman chariot, um, my French press into a sword, um, the salt shaker has got to become a, a helmet, that kind of my wall hangings they've got to be military encampments and kind of uh, fancy drapes for the for the for the palaces and the villas and that kind of, i'm not sure how cgi works i think this is approximately how it is and myself i've got to transform into a cast of thousands at all different ages uh it's going to be a it's going to be an expensive an expensive undertaking um but with the with the miracle of modern technology you can do this you can do anything now that'd be fine i imagine only your imagination is the limit yeah you don't need more people or more or more places to shoot just the will i saw a behind the scenes thing it was like a making of the the final battle of avengers endgame and it was just like if you take away all the cgi it was just uh, just a guy just sort of standing there (laughs) (laughs) just one guy they they just was very successful they just they just use him to get a sense of what people look like you know (laughs) just as a reference it's like a visual reference for the for the cgi work uh, but other than that, they just do everything in post, so... It'll be fine. Yeah, I think, I think it'll be fine. And we talk about how we're not very good at sort of keeping up our various social media feeds and checking things and yeah you know touching base with our huge fan base touching base with a huge fan base um i've just checked the itunes comments you know on itunes you can rate and review your podcasts we've got a very high rating because we've got four reviews three of them are five stars but one of them is one star the ones that are five star uh one of them is me one, one of them is you, Georgia, you wrote and one, is, one of them is uh, Tim Rogers. <laughs> so, friend of, what are the friends what of the show. What are the dates on, on friends of the show or hosts of the show? Hosts of the show. Uh, the first person to review it was me on the 10th of April, 2017. Then mm. Georgia on the 8th of May, 2017. And then Tim on the 17th of April, 2017. All right, so we haven't had reviews in a few years. 2020 now, so it's been yeah. a few years. But on the 1st of November, 2017. Yeah. A man going by the moniker Dr. Taffin. <laughs> and a mere, is, a, mere, you know, a mere two and a half years later, we finally read his comment. <laughs> I assume it's a man. I looked at the other podcast he was looking at. This might just... He's called Dr. Taffin. Yeah, I'm not assuming he's a doctor because he's a man because he's a doctor. I'm assuming he's a man because he listens to quite bro-ish, sports-based... Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm just the vibe. Maybe that's very... Uh, Come on, angry internet people. They're usually men, aren't they? Yeah. I'm just, I don't think a woman would give us one star. Anyway, he said the following. <laughs> a woman wouldn't do that. Just awful. If you want to hear a fella use the word contrivances about 16 times an hour, then you might tolerate it. I get the impression these guys know what they're talking about, but they clearly don't. I think he missed the word think there. Also, the British guy 
using Americanisms and an upward inflection starts to grate after about two minutes. Leave it alone. Well, at least he had those two minutes, you know? Yeah, and I checked the uh, analytics and we had a huge drop off <laughs> on uh, November that. the yeah we lost most of our listeners Dr. Taffin's got a lot of sway he's got a lot of sway when, when Dr. Taffin uh, says don't listen to this people listen <laughs> Dr. Taffin his him. prescription was don't listen and people listen people filled out that's, that prescription um, Sorry, what do you make Taffin. of his criticisms do you feel that, that we use the word contrivances too <laughs> <laughs> I do I do feel that in almost every um, section of the show we, we're always saying contrivances <laughs> Ironically, it gets more and more contrived. It does. Sometimes you've really got to struggle to fit it in, but we do somehow. Always saying that word. But I think in the, you know, three years on, we've reduced the number. It's not 16 times. Honestly, honestly, he shouldn't, don't judge us just by that one episode. He should listen to more episodes. We wouldn't have said contrivances so much. Yeah. Also, which one of us is the British guy? Aren't we both? People tell me that I have an American lilt. Well, people say the same thing about me. I think I've got a lot of Americanisms in my... In your vocabulary. Yeah. I'm always like, gosh darn it. And I say stuff like that. And Yeah. But your Americanisms are all kind of Minnesota nice kind of... Uh, kind of you're yeah. always saying uh, things like kind of funny looking and... Um, uh, oh, yeah. 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 So it's oh, yeah. Strange. I'm um, like, can I give you an elevator? Oh, I mean, lift. Sorry. I'm just so American. You always want to make me some eggs. <laughs> Anyway, I'm sorry, Dr. Taffin. I mean, he's probably not listening anymore. I mean, he probably is. He probably I, is. I think so. I think we want him back. I think this is like when someone tugs your hair in the playground to show you they like you. That's just a negative comment to show, him, to show us that he exists. You know, we're like a sort of weird uh, experimental album where like, you listen to it and you're like, this isn't very good, but it just keeps on coming back to you throughout the week. And then before you know it, you got to listen to it again. Yeah, definitely. It's like termite art. That's us. Termite art. Yeah, there's a famous essay about it. Um, I forget who wrote it. God, hmm. this degree is paying for itself. But as coined the phrase termite art, which is art, which is not in initially accessible, but, but it, it stays burrows, with you and it, it burrows, burrows into inside. you. And that's okay. us, I feel. I agree. I don't know if that's too lofty thing to procrastinate. We've well, been going through our Berlin phase the whole time. We have. We have. Um, so maybe this is a good opportunity for us to say, you know, you can always add to those iTunes reviews if you want. Yeah, sure. Sometimes I... I um, enjoy the content made by some other you know home producers the types of people who don't have the sort of capital behind them that that allows them to uh not have to say things like that and they and they usually say please rate and review us on itunes because it helps us with the algorithms yeah and maybe we should be making yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of request you know guys get on it please if you, if you if you like film chat and would like to support it then it would we really appreciate boost boosting oh yeah and we were on that list of 100 left-wing podcasts recently which was nice, nice. you know make cracking the top 100 in these podcast saturated days that's no mean feat i mean yeah, they, yeah. they wouldn't just put any old stuff on that on that not list um so uh and we're not we also don't we're not like overtly left-wing if you know what i mean it's no. it's just the nature of our of our great banter we've got we've got lefty bands it's progressive um so yeah please do that go go uh, rate and review us uh, like and subscribe and all that kind of thing um Moving on to uh, friendlier, more positive messages. Callum Russell sent us a message to direct us to a great supercut, which uh, some poor soul has watched every Matthew McConaughey performance and compiled a single video of every time he says the word all right, because it's one of McConaughey's favorite words. Uh, and Callum says, it's quite amazing. And I was wondering if you can think of any other actors with a catchphrase that gets used over and over in their movies as much as McConaughey's all right. 
You've got Owen Wilson's Wow. Wow. That's me trying to do wow. it. Wow. Wow. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. What a crazy movie. Wow. Uh, and Samuel L. Jackson's Motherfucker. Uh, have you got any others? And any that might beat McConaughey's total of 280 as Ooh. of 2017? I'm not sure if anything can beat McConaughey, but I, a few did uh, spring to mind. Charlotte Buff says no, 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 no a lot in a lot of his movies. Uh, maybe not recently. says no a lot in Transformers. Yeah. Yeah, not, not anymore. Not anymore. That's like early phase, Shire. Um, maybe he says it a lot in Honey Boy. I don't know. Denzel Washington says my man in like a variety of movies to the point that sort of become like if you're doing a Denzel Washington impression, you say that. That's what the guy who does them on SNL kind of says yeah. is the Denzelism, right? Yeah, Denzelism. Uh, Keanu Reeves says whoa, whoa, <laughs> in a lot of his movies. And then I was like, uh, I, I kind of got stuck on like I could just think of people who do have like mannerisms. Like, I feel like De Niro smirks in every movie he does. Pacino has like a sort of catch noise, if not a catch phrase. It's sort of hoo ha. I feel kind of comes out in a lot of his movies, just sort of post Scarface. There's a bit of ho ha hoo ha. That probably counts. Hoo ha. Uh, yeah. Christopher Walken has got like just some weird vocal noises he makes in every movie. Sort of his. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think like the 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 borderline is probably between hoo ha and then and then just Christopher Walken's kind of croaking. I don't know if that counts. Because like, I think you can spell hua, yeah. but it's harder to spell the sort of... Ah, yeah, but I don't think anything beats uh, McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. All right. That is, that is trickier, yeah. He's all right. Tricky to beat. Yeah. But thank you for bringing this to our attention, Callum. What's his catchphrase? Callum, he's always saying... Um, hey, I'm Callum. Hey, I'm Callum. That's the one. Hey, I'm Callum. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen him in a while. I think that's yeah, no, but that was now he talks. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> hey, yeah. Sometimes it's hey hey. Okay, and sometimes it's hey. <laughs> it's got he's got a variant. Yeah, it's got a other version. He just sort of drops in for variety. Yeah, shaking it up. Hey hey, I'm Callum. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Right, Escape from Pretoria. This is a uh, prison break thriller directed by Francis Anand, based on a true life story of the escape from a, a prisoner of the title in apartheid era South Africa by three young uh, political prisoners, chief among them Tim Jenkin, played by Daniel Radcliffe, who came up with a, a spectacular uh, a way of getting out of the prison, which you wouldn't think. Um, works but does involving making his own keys and just yeah. and just using them to unlock the doors <laughs> pretty cool here is a clip from this film for many nights i sat on my bed and stared at the lock i tried a hundred ideas in my mind and then i tried a hundred more sat there staring back at me every single night and then it dawned on me you don't have to know everything you only have to know enough you start with what you know 
and you work backwards. So at the beginning of the film, Tim Jenkin and uh, Stephen Lee, uh, played by Daniel Weber, are kind of leafleting. Uh, they use like bombs to deliver leaflets. So it kind yeah. of looks like they're doing some, you know, extreme sure. r- radical bombings, but they're just leaflets come out of them. I guess it's just a way to quickly distribute sure. leaflets. Um, and uh, they get arrested for that um, and put in prison and... Uh, and then they break out. So we saw a um, nice preview screening of this in a sort of plush uh, screening room, which is yeah. always is always fun when that happens. I feel like it makes you more positively disposed like, towards like the movie. Like big boy film critics. Like big boy film critics, exactly. That was kind of uh, very enjoyable. It, I don't know. I was not. I was not blown away by this. I yeah. think. I think the main it suffers from something which uh, a lot of um, uh, based on true story uh, uh, films do, which is that the just the the facts of the case are kind of more interesting than the film that they're made from yeah. and that it might be better just to read a non-fiction book about what really happened because when when you transfer an exciting true story into a uh, genre film it's then coming up against um you know stories that people have made up yeah yeah <laughs> in terms of excitement <laughs> you, you can't know? compete with that and it's, it's it can be hard to get you're kind of you know you've got to craft a film which can sure, compete yeah, with just a fictional one and uh it suffers from concentrating on the mechanics of the prison break and the kind of excitement of these guys breaking out of the prison over um, the a depiction of the actual racism and uh, oppression that was going on in South Africa at that time. So, I mean, you know, part of the issue is that it's a mainly white cast in a film that's all about fighting racism in South Africa, which doesn't really feature any black characters of note and no black people do anything in the film, which is fine. You know, that's not the story that they're telling and... But it, but it just means that the racism itself becomes a kind of backdrop to the film rather than the subject of the film. Yeah. And the subject of the film is kind of just about a guy's resourcefulness in getting out of prison. But it wouldn't be that different if it was just a film about a man who was wrongfully convicted, you know? Yeah. Or like the Shawshank Redemption or whatever. I see, yeah. Um, and then the other, the other problem is that the, the facts of the story, while amazing, there's only kind of one thing. And, and the rest of it has to be done with embellishments. So the, although if you were doing this as a, as a completely fictional story, you would probably have them thrown into like a really high security prison where they've got to overcome astounding obstacles in order to break out like most prison, prison break stories are. Whereas it seems to me that the actual prison in which they were contained is pretty poor in terms <laughs> of its like levels of security. So they're trying to wring drama out of something which uh, in the end is kind of... <laughs> straightforwards i mean it required you know as a real life thing incredible i couldn't do it you <laughs> yeah, know yeah. It, sure. it, it, it's it's an unbelievable feat but as a as a narrative um you, you're kind of thinking like this is a fucking cowboy prison like <laughs> what are these guys doing like <laughs> how, how are they able to to to, to get away with this in this yeah way? yeah absolutely i mean that's it it's like it's kind of one ingenious thing done several times and like the really like again comparing to sort of fictional things or like things that are a bit more fictionalized like escape from alcatraz or maybe like the great escape is like they gotta dig the tunnels they gotta build the bellows they gotta like uh, forge the papers there's all these like little tasks they have to accomplish but on this is like he's only got to do the one <laughs> gonna do the ones making those keys yeah i did think like it was kind of missing a kind of take because it's about there's something interesting about these you know white progressive guys and they're, you know, obviously on the side of good, anti-apartheid. 
but they're not really the victims of oppression themselves. And then suddenly they are put in a prison. And like, unlike other escape movies where it's like, you know, uh, soldiers or whatever escaping to freedom, they're escaping back into an oppressive regime. Mm. So it's kind of like, I feel like there's an angle there the movie was kind of like oblivious to. It's like the movie ends, it's like, you know, there's like another 12 to 13 years of apartheid. Like, it's kind of like, ah, well, these white guys escaped. It's like, I'm not sure if this was the right sort of. Yeah. I know that's like a different movie. It's not that they can just turn the characters black or anything, but this, the fact that it's there's no it doesn't contextualize the time at all. I think it just assumes like they you know they name check Mandela, yeah, and it's 1979, and there's I think there's a few like info cards at the beginning in case you really like have no idea what's happened like in the 20th century, and then you can almost like you say kind of remove the 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 politics of it, which is. In, you know, it's almost damning to the film because it's about political prisoners. There's like a bit like there's an Ian Hart character who's like a political prisoner who's like a sort of legendary figure in the movement who's there. And I felt like that was supposed to be the kind of meat of the movie, but it's just not sketched out enough to yeah, really yeah, yeah. make any kind of impact. There's like one scene where there's a sort of argument, um, like a like a real argument about whether trying this prison escape is the right thing to do for the for the struggle. Yeah, and that felt like the the kind of kernel of a of a of a, a film that was really interrogating how you fight a system. Yeah, and and what actions you know are constructive and what actions aren't. How to sort of direct what is obviously like both the uh, Ian Hart character and uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character are incredibly brave um, and resourceful, resilient people, but they have different ideas about how to use those um, yeah uh, those abilities. And uh, that felt like I was like, oh, there's something here. And then it kind mm. of dissipated quite quickly. Yeah. So it's like it's not quite thrilling enough to be a thriller. It's a little yeah. bit of a flat TV movie feel to it. And it's not kind of it doesn't interrogate the material enough to be, you know, an interesting political film. I was thinking it suffers from like, I'm not really sure how you correct this problem, but like racist in movies, unless they're like specifically about like a racist like Romper Stomper or This Is England or something. They're just all these kind of like snarling, cartoonish people. Like, and I guess that's like how racism kind of operates. Like in Black Klansmen, like all the KKK characters are all kind of ridiculous and seem quite two dimensional, with the exception of kind of the David Duke character, which has got like a bit more meat on the bones. Like all the guards are sort of like, I don't know, there's, there's nothing to them. And it just makes it, like you say, it's like it becomes a genre movie and it's like, you know, is this reality, isn't it? It can't quite feels like it's fictionalized it a yeah. bit to there's like, like there's push like it into a, a movie but. there's a judge early on who's you know in in the scene where they're being sentenced who just comes across like as quite a cartoonish yeah character and yeah it, it is it is a difficult thing to handle um but uh it yeah it feels i think that the risk of um of these types of things i don't know maybe, maybe risk is too strong a word but like an, an angle which always feels a bit too easy is uh is depicting them as these systems which are just obviously evil and you have no way to imagine how they could have even been constructed in the first place which means you have no um angle on on recognizing um the ways in which uh those types of oppression still exist today or yeah. how people can can conform to uh structures like that so easily or things like that you know i think like the uh, the sort of tempting angle that um, that a lot of these types of stories fall into is always to see these things in the past as um, 
they were toppled by the the ultimate progressive arc of history towards justice you know that eventually bad people just kind of wake up to things and you recognize that racism is bad and then things get torn down and then the actual messiness of the struggle itself is kind of forgotten and it's reduced to like the the people who were ahead of their time and then the people who are kind of behind the times and then like the people who are ahead of their time are just uh you know uh, valiantly individually struggling and then but eventually the thing in the background you know is just gonna fall like yeah, it yeah. can't be it can't be maintained yeah i think that's it it was a bit too much of an easy watch yeah when it kind of shouldn't be you know it's like an apartheid movie about a bunch of like two white guys who escaped and it's like there's like a sort of thing about his black girlfriend disappeared and it's like okay well like that's like an entire film yeah. like in the last <laughs> sentence of the movie yeah 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 so I mean, maybe we're criticizing the film for what it is, isn't, which well, is I would say I would say that the film, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't. I don't think it has a pretense to be yeah, a yeah, really weighty piece of work. You know, it's not a very ambitious film. I guess you would say it feels more like a vector to inform people about this event. Yeah, just like this cool thing happened. Like, you probably didn't know that um, anti-apartheid protesters were locked up and then escaped from prison using wooden keys they made themselves in prison, which yeah. is nuts. You know, and I'm glad that more people will learn about it because of this this film. But like the film itself is a bit of a container for that. Yeah, yeah. for that story. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. We got a message from friend of the show, Chris Young. He says, Hi, Film Chat. I'm interested in hearing about how crushed you are about the ninth month delay of the new Bond film. In particular, I'd be interested to know what you think of this beautiful, heartwarming moment we have been denied as per Mike Parry's tweet below. Keep up the good work. And he uh, screenshotted a tweet from Mike Parry that says, The new James Bond film, No Time to Die, should have been used as a battering ram against coronavirus. People get together and enjoy a big moment at the film's launch, and every guest would illustrate precautions. No handshakes, hand-washing bowls on the way in, dot, dot, at 007, and thumbs down. Thumbs down emoji. Thumbs down emoji. I like that he's telling Bond himself about this. Um, So this is... The big news in the, you know, forget about all the deaths and stuff. The big, the big problem with the coronavirus is not the threat to your loved ones. It's the delay to Peter it's Rabbit 2. Peter Rabbit 2, Mulan, Quiet Place 2, Fury Fast 9 has been postponed a year, a whole year. New Mutants that has been delayed like twice now. It's supposed to come out two years ago. It's not coming out for another year. Someone must be really um, sad about the fate of that New Mutants film, which was like shot years ago by now. So uh, yeah, like uh, it's it's juggling the all the big box office juggernauts are sort of juggling the juggernauts. The juggling the juggernauts. The the juggernauts. like we can't release it now. Where are we going to put it in the calendar? I feel like the Bond. uh, I don't know if it's like a sort of tipping point. Once one film moves, everyone starts moving. But it feels a bit like 
uh, the Bond team were kind of smart to get in early, right? Got to nab the November release. And that way, no one can go near them. And they've nabbed like a month of the calendar. And so oh, everyone's yeah. having to move a year just to get out of their way. The thing I find, I would love to be the accountant who's crunching the numbers. Because, you know, allegedly they spend almost like half what the budget is just on marketing. So a Bond movie, there must be like about 100 million in marketing. And it's all geared up <laughs> to a mid-April release. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. they've spent all this money. And like Daniel Craig was on SNL. And all the trailers, they've released, you know, like free trailers and they've got to repackage it every six weeks to keep the excitement going to a fever pitch. And then they, you know, put it through algorithm and are like, okay, we're going to lose money or not make enough money. It'll be worth spending that money again in nine months time rather than putting the movie out now. Maybe they'll do reshoots, add a, add a new action sequence just so that they can add something different to the trailers. Yeah, exactly. Just so that there's a hook to draw audiences in. Well, apparently the big factor is the Chinese box office and numbers are really low uh, there. And right, that's right. like, if you want to make money as a big template blockbuster, you got to get the Chinese box office money. Yeah. Well, the uh, incredibly obvious take on this is just that it's just illustrates in a in a sort of um, this one particular area uh, what, a, what an enormous deal this is <laughs> economically. Yeah. Um, I don't can't think of anything in our lifetimes that has been quite comparable, except the writer's strike, which obviously was not global. You know, didn't affect every single industry. Now I know how Shakespeare felt when they closed the theaters because of the plague. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. I don't know. It's just the latest uh, uh, interesting times type thing for us to be living through. No idea what the impact's going to be. We had like the um, largest uh, like drop in stocks in a single day in decades um and uh and now we've got to fucking wait to see peter rabbit 2 i haven't even seen peter rabbit once so it's given me a chance to catch up on that there's a scene where, nice. he, where he pegs mr mcgregor apparently he puts like a carrot up his butt wow james corden the, as, a, as a rabbit puts a carrot um, the, in, in donald gleason's with, with sexual intent or i don't know if it was intended that way but that's how i chose to read the scene <laughs> Anyway, I assume there'll be another scene like that in the sequel. Do you do you think he? What would you laugh harder at? Do you think uh, a carrot up Mr. McGregor's butt, or the the bit in um, Me Myself and Irene where the guy gets a chicken shoved up his butt? That is a pretty amazing scene. So, so you probably go for the chicken up the butt. Go for the chicken up the butt. I think a chicken is a funnier item to be up someone's butt. Yeah, because it's alive. That's what makes it. If it was like, <laughs> like you know, supermarket bought chicken. Chlorinated chicken. <laughs> Chlorinated Brexit chicken up the butt. I don't know. Now that I'm saying it, it is kind of funny. <laughs> this this conversation took a totally plausible left turn here. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't how we initially intended to be. Uh, the topic we initially intended to be discussing. Are you upset that you can't see No Time to Die? I am upset at the missed opportunity that it wasn't used. To, it was this like patriotic thing to, to bring a nation together and teach a nation better hygiene at the same time. Yeah. They could have done a thing where... Uh, Bond strides on and then instead of shooting his gun he just washes his hands <laughs> it's a gun barrel sequence dun 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 he like dun. he just he just you know the gun shot only takes an instant but he just washes his hands for 20 seconds and then suds come down instead of that like blood wow, thing that would have been good yeah um, so they could have done that and they've, they've really missed a chance to do they, that they fucked up there the broccoli family doesn't know what they're doing uh, it's yeah. kind of funny because it's well the title's already stupid and the fact it's been delayed is like no time to die. It's like I got not released for nine months. It's like 
also it's just like the next thing in the sort of long line of like a cursed production where there's all these delays changing directors changing writers now like the film's done finally get released and the global pandemic pushes the things it's like is this movie going to be good it feels like you know i'm not a superstitious guy but it feels like uh fate is intervening that no one should see this film so maybe it means maybe they'll bad. just use all of that extra time just to fine tune it to just to polish it to perfection yeah buff it and you know shine it to a to a, to a gleaming five-star masterpiece <laughs> Say you want about this coronavirus, but it really gave him the time to really make that really, 25th Bond movie like, really, <laughs> really pop. Really tweak the the CGI on, you know, whatever facial disfigurement the villain has this time until it looks really fucking great. Can't wait. Cannot, cannot wait for that. So what, what are the, sincerely, what, is there any of these films that, that you care about the delay to? I, I mean, I, I assume that there will be less prominent films that, that might also be delayed, or maybe they, they don't care so much about independent films because they're showing fewer Well, I think anyway. it's just like most people don't have the money to delay their releases. Yeah, 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 that's true. So that's it just true. like impacts larger films more. Someone's saying like, hey, maybe Portrait of a Lady on Fire will just be playing for the next six months now because that's all that we can't be, you know, I guess we're just going to play that again. It's like, that's... You well, know, I mean, that's fine. I mean, that's, that's, fine. that's a great film. As, like, you know, as many people should see that as possible. Uh, wasn't Sonic the Hedgehog? That was also delayed, wasn't it? When they, as they redid their poorly received CGI Hedgehog. Yeah. And that's also getting a delay. Oh my God. In China. I think it's already come out <laughs> uh, elsewhere. The real question is, what are we going to be re- reviewing? I mean, re- reviewing. Reviewing. We'll have to review that new Mark Wahlberg film on Netflix. That looks quite good, though. Well, we did... So we've talked about other kind of formats we could go into. Like, we did that that bug review kind of episode, and uh, I've been watching some older films, and we've been reviewing them. So maybe this is an opportunity to kind of do both at once and just look at all of those Wahlberg, Peter Berg films. Yeah. The Berg duos. The Bergbergs. The Bergs. <laughs> Berg squared. Their work together. Mm. I mean, how many... Have you seen many of those films? Have you seen Shooter? I haven't seen or that that one about did the. He, um, he did Lone Survivor. I think Peter Berg directed Shooter. He did Lone Survivor. He did the Marathon Boston. Yeah, thing. the Boston Marathon bombings one. Patriot Day. Day. Or something. He did Deep Water Horizon, and they did that one with um, the guy from the Raid. Uh, something blocks like Some, 20, 12 20, blocks. Twelve blocks. A certain number of of blocks that yeah. a, cha- a challengingly difficult number <laughs> of blocks. And this new one, it feels like they were like really making money on the sort of. Um, all-american hero real-life disaster movies yeah yeah yeah. and then they've sort of segued into sort of like like throwback buddy comedies and it's just not going as well for the bugs they need a, they need a new i mean they're probably like rubbing the hands of the coronavirus it's like there's going to be some american hero it's going to be Wahlberg in a hazmat oh, suit Wahlberg can go back to being a scientist yeah in, in his greatest role ever in the happening yeah it's the, like can that. anyone tell me why the virus is, is spreading so come much? on guys come on guys wash your hands man you gotta wash your hands um, writes itself. It can have loads of scenes of him making hypothesis and make hypothesis, just design the experiment, ex- execute the variables, uh, process the results, do the P numbers, uh, statistically validate, uh, peer review it, uh, <laughs> you know, and the control group. Uh, and, then he, and then he just shoots someone in the head. That would be a cool scene. That's all I'm saying. He shoots the man in the head who was about to smash his uh, antidote. Let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. I mean, there's a Wahlberger in a... Like Covent Garden now. I reckon we just go there. Oh, do they take do they, do they take pictures for Warburg <laughs> films there as well as they sell you burgers and you also can <laughs> do they take that, pictures uh, as you a form can of currency? Script, you, can give, <laughs> you need to give two scripts for a burger. Or something. 
Yeah. You need two full 90-page scripts and I'll give you one burger. Every, everyone serving in there is also works as Mark Wahlberg's agent. Yeah, that's how he's so successful. Because he's, he's too busy getting his fucking pod, you know, sleeping. Like, most actors, it doesn't occur to them to have, like, hundreds of agents. Yeah. They usually only have, like, one, I think. But, yeah. he, but he's getting, yeah, exactly. He's in the cryo chamber uh, scrolling through just uh, dozens and dozens, you know, if not hundreds of scripts that, <laughs> that are being used to, to pay for his burgers. And that's how he picks the best roles, like all the, which is usually the, <laughs> usually the Peter Burger. It's a thousand films. monkeys on a thousand typewriters, you know. <laughs> and he's reading all the scripts, seeing them all. Um, what a guy! Yeah, I want to see. I want to see that one where he does the jigsaw that that shows you how it's like he's like a really hard jigsaw, and that that shows you what an intelligent. Yeah, it's like world's hardest jigsaw. And he's just like puts the final he piece the in final the puzzle. Piece in. It's like that's good character work. Yeah, I just so know when, who that guy's about now. So do you think well a Berg episode maybe big big Berg big Berg episode yeah big boy Berg episode let's hit, let's hit that Berg let's steer into the Berg I like <laughs> I like what you're trying to do here I recognize it yeah I you, love it oh you, you're happy with that it's a riff <laughs> think it's okay passes muster oh muster pass my friend <laughs> yes great yes cool so happy about that. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. So, Baccarat. This is directed by Kleber Mendoka Filho and, and co-directed by his uh, producer and production designer, uh, Julian, is it Juliana or Juliana? Juliana Dornells. Uh, previously had a big hit with Aquarius a few years back and this is something of a switch in genre the less you know the better but it's basically about Baccarat is a small town in Brazil and at the opening card is a few years from now so it's somewhere in the future and it's mainly about a woman returning to this hometown and you're introduced to a slightly sort of oddball community uh, there's some sort of water shortage there could be we might be post-apocalyptic times I'm not sure and there are sort of strange foreigners who are entering the town and something is amiss. Is that enough information? Something's up. Some strange happenings beset the town. Well, I, am a, I do feel a bit torn with this because on the one hand, the experience of watching the film with no knowledge was great. I, I found it brilliant. It's not, it's not clear. There's not signposts um, where it's heading plot-wise, um, but it does signpost kind of where it's heading tonally by um, putting like dozens and dozens of coffins in like the first shot <laughs> so you're like, okay um but on the other hand i don't know how many of our you know how many people are really going to see this movie so it might you might want to dangle a little extra a little a little dangle. a little a little extra dangle um, i mean it's sort of it is it is a western kind of star film is what it develops into i guess that's true and it has a kind of siege quality is that saying that's too enough much? that's enough that, dangling okay that's enough that's that's Brother, we've dangled now. Okay, <laughs> okay. The town is under threat. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, this was a this is a great movie. Loved it. Um, it's got this kind of soft sci-fi quality, which I which I found quite bold and and rewarding. It sort of announces its pulpiness, and it's also very convenient in terms of the the ideas in the film because they can kind of do stuff with the story by having these little bits of technology that don't exist in the real world. But it's just, it's because it's a bit in the future. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like face off or something. 
sure. where, where you just have this random extra little sci-fi twist and it doesn't really need to be explained by anything you know they don't they don't they don't all have to be on uh, jetpacks or anything like that um and uh uh it just yeah it gives it this slightly off-kilter quality where you do it's very hard to anticipate exactly how this film is going to turn out like is it going to if it suddenly develops supernatural elements you know that would not be surprising yeah Another thing about it that makes it quite hard to see where it's going is that the, the setup is done so lovingly that it could be the film, the whole film. Yeah. Like the, a lot of the early stuff, right, without, I want to give too much away, but this, the, the structure of the film is a kind of slow crescendo that starts from very low and then goes, you know, all the way up. And uh, all of this slow stuff at the beginning, it doesn't feel like it's, we're just waiting for this bomb to go off. It kind of feels like, a, a depiction of small town life which is just interesting in and of itself and if this film was just a little drama about the lives of these people in the town and their interactions which to be honest i i didn't know any better when i saw, <laughs> when I saw the film and you know I, that would have been great you yeah know? i was all, all that stuff is like really really well done just trying to work out whose story we were intending to to follow who's the main character of this tale and like you know uh, all, all that kinds of stuff is uh, i found really enjoyable and satisfying yeah, I think it has, uh, to be a bit reductive, it has two things I really like in movies. One is that it's about now in a very uh, literal way towards the end. Like, you won't walk away from this movie wondering what the water's about. You know, it's Definitely of, not. And also, it's got this elusive tone where it just kind of refuses to be in a genre. It's sort of like, it has bits of, like, a lot of the reviews were like, oh, it's a bit like this, a bit like that. But it doesn't really sit in one genre, like... And that just makes it a bit unsettling. It's like if you're in a thriller movie, even if the thriller's like really good and really tense, you're sort of aware of the kind of parameters of the genre. But there's, like you said, it could go anywhere, but not in a sort of like, this is a crazy movie and whatever happens will happen. It's like, you know, it's so um, sort of methodically made. You feel like you're in really safe hands and it's sort of steering you towards this conclusion. But I think it's like just reality now is just a bit mad and unmoored so to reflect it you have to make a movie that's a bit a bit weird like you know people saying oh it's a bit weird and out there but it's like no more so than actual current events i mean it was literally like a massive killer virus like spreading around the globe like the stuff that happens in this movie isn't that strange i don't think no 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 it's very believable it isn't well it's a it, on the one hand it's a very broad literalization of the kind of psychology of oppression yeah that doesn't sound like a pretentious Whoa. remark you know it, in that it's a it takes attitudes and then and then puts them in yeah, yeah. in bold letters in, in people's actions um and part of that is actually quite a sort of inspiring story of solidarity and resistance you know yeah that the, like there's a connection between a, a very um, contemporary and bizarre sort of sadistic form of uh, colonial relationship in the movie that that it depicts um but and part of the fight back against that it draws on a history of past generations of of oppression yeah. and like the experiences of people who who have suffered and struggled and that's kind of battle hardened them and i like that idea you know yeah um and uh, i think there is there is truth to that that people who have an experience of struggle know what the stakes are and uh you know no, they have they still have the the weapons lying around and they're kind of yeah, ready yeah. to take up the fight again and that was kind of cool you know to see that see that happen also i liked how 
it's not a kind of virtuous depiction of like true real like it, it, the real people live in the countryside and they just you know plow the land and uh, go to church and stuff. they're not just like like hearty sons of toil who are, no yeah. they're like you know they sort of drink and take drugs and there's like as uh, very sort of a sex worker positive uh, depiction in the film and you know that they're, they're salty real people that well, that, sounds well, that's so why, reductive but that's like, why it's... like the first part of the film works so well is that bef- before it, d- it develops into anything else like it feels like a fully fleshed out town it doesn't feel like a cipher yeah, yeah. for for sort like a uh, class um then they're not just like uh, stand-ins for their class or whatever and you're supposed to like them for that reason like they're they're all real characters having they've got their own film going on you know yeah, before yeah. something else in, in interrupts them this is i think like this this is a type of film that is if there's any like kind of movie that I feel that we, you know, tend to praise, it's this sort of film. Yeah. I don't know. This takes like a lot of boxes to me. It's kind of doing, it's doing everything. It's uh, really surprising. It's really exciting. Uh, it's got the structure that I like, which is starting small and ending big. I could, you can actually draw some comparisons to Parasite. And the, the, they were both movies that competed for the Palm Door and this one, the jury prize at Cannes. Um, and Parasite beats it out to the palm door. But I think they're both doing similar things. They're movies about class. Um, although this is definitely a film that celebrates resistance in a way that like Parasite has a has a different attitude towards. Um, but they have these kind of, uh, it's like big symbols, big story, big emotions, you know, uh, a great yeah. set of characters and just a blast to watch. Like films that are really exciting, but that don't feel cheap. Sure, you on, know, it's not a lecture. Way. It's not a lecture at all, yeah. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I would. I would really recommend it. I feel like this is the kind of movie that Robert Rodriguez would make if he was really good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think he, he would watch this film and be like, "Oh, I can't make a film like this. That's sad." <laughs> like machete in <laughs> <Just> space. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So I, I, I give this a huge recommendation. Definitely, definitely check it out. Yeah, it's definitely like the. I don't know it's a bit early in the year to make any pronouncements, but I'd be surprised if there's anything like more like original feeling. It feels like it's really sort of doing its own thing. And that is exciting. Most films are just boring and derivative. This isn't. No. So And it's excellent. Yeah, it's great. I loved it. Also, I saw Q&A with the director, and he's a charming man. So just for his benefit, go support his film. Just Well, he's, he's a charming. He's a, he's a lovely man. He's a lovely guy. And it feels like his politics are pretty right on. Do you so. think that every good director is nice and every bad director is a dickhead? Because I feel like that's probably true. That's probably that is probably true. Celine Siama seems very cool. Uh, this guy's nice. Bong Joon Ho, everyone loves him. He's a nice guy. Yeah. Tom Hooper, everyone hates him. Clearly a dickhead. Yeah, he's blacklisted by the VFX industry. <laughs> <laughs> that no one will make any cat for him again I've, I've i've heard some stories about him can we say that on this can we can we can we say those rumors uh, you you might have actually said this and i like cut it out of the podcast about stuff about like when he's making les mis and they didn't have like a click track and it's been ages trying to get the vocals and stuff he just sort of like thinks he's some sort of like genius making these like insane demands that create like a huge workflow for the people underneath him and like aren't even that good and yeah has yeah, no yeah. respect for thinks he's the sort of the general impression I get is that he thinks he's some sort of genius and everyone's like, you need to, you're not 
well, kind he, enough to treat, be this much of a dick. He does. You know he does. I mean? He seems like he, he kind of gives the impression that for him, the the roots to to greatness is just crazy conceits or doing things that have never been done before. Yeah. Except like the feats will be done by other people because yeah, yeah. he's not a VFX artist yeah, and he's not absolutely. a he's not a sound engineer. So this 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 will be a film like none other, <laughs> a, a musical sung entirely through with no click track. And the actors will just start singing and they'll just sing whatever they want at any speed. And then we'll have to record a full orchestra that is just matching every single thing they do. And that, that's just going to somehow, they've got to sing in perfect tune somehow. And we'll, we'll, that'll just be fine. If you could just do that for me, that'd that's be great. A, no film was ever made this way. We have to invent entirely new techniques and it'll get a nice four-star review in The Guardian. Uh, yeah. Idiot. Idiot. Anyway, Baccarat's good then. Yeah, it's fucking <laughs> it's like, <just> lit. <laughs> Saw Christian Slater at the shops the other day With Jamie Foxx, Chris Cooper and Janelle Monet And the cast of Maid of Honor And the little girl from the fall and Tina Fey They said, Sam, hey we all love your podcast, it's great I said thanks, we shook hands, nodded and parted ways. Why didn't I take a photo? I should have taken the photo. Why didn't I take a photo? Uh, Danny, I've got a very highly specific request from you. Sure, sure. Could you review a film in which Nicolas Cage is bathed in a kind of purple glow and he pulls mad expressions? Because I, I loved Mandy and I want, I want to see another one like that. Oh, you're, you're so lucky. So, um, Color Out of Space got released last week and I think it's playing at the Prince Charles and it's probably on demand already. It is the latest Nicolas Cage is in a weird movie movie. It is adapted from a H.P. Lovecraft story by Richard Stanley who made hardware and dust devil in the early 90s then disappeared uh, uh, was kicked off the filming of The Island of Dr. Moreau and then sort of disappeared of the wilderness, uh, during which time he tried to find the Holy Grail. Genuine oddball wow. director. Wow, didn't know that. Uh, anyway, he's back. He's made this film. I saw it at the London Film Festival. I didn't really much care for it. It was made by the producers of Mandy, and it felt a bit like they were making Mandy, and they were like Nicolas Cage, Neon Lights, being a bit weird. We've got to get another one of these going ASAP. And uh, Richard Stanley was the man to do it. It's... Uh, it was kind of entertaining. It's basically a sort of weird meteorite lands in his farm and starts growing and weird uh, plants grow and they see colours and it infects the water and weird stuff happens. I can't really spoil it for you because I don't remember because it was <laughs> did not linger in the mind. Because it blew your mind. That's it. And even Richard Stanley's more of like a genuine weird guy than the guy, uh, I've forgotten his name, the Mandy director which I think was kind of striving to be like a cult movie. I feel like Richard Stanley's more of a, like a genuine oddball. Like his other, I've only seen Hardware, but he's into like the occult and stuff. And his movies always have scenes of people like tripping out and carving stuff on, you know, chalk, chalk drawings on the floor and lighting candles. And he seems to genuinely, you know, believe in yeah. the ether and stuff. You want a real eccentric movie. Exactly. Eccentric so films. I feel like he, you know, is a very sort of sincere movie in that respect even though there's a few bits which feel like were created for the uh nicholas cage meme community you know there's a few bits of him being weird and there are uh, he's, he's an alpaca farmer so he's like alpacas 
the alpaca milk is great or whatever and it's like okay someone's loving this not me <laughs> just was a Come bit on, under- it's, not, it's not 2008 anymore yeah exactly i was a bit underwhelmed by it to be honest with you um so don't go see it we, you can't you gotta stay indoors stay indoors self-isolating track down back around that's the film chat tip of the week I, I, I film about people being isolated so perfect it's perfect so do that and join us next week and god knows what future we'll be living in then but all right if, you know, if, if civilization has not has not collapsed uh, next week and snatched the dream of peter rabbit 2 from us forever um we'll be back and we'll be reviewing something 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 will be reviewed listen italy might close its borders theaters might be shut down but film chat will continue we will be the last institution to, to close <laughs> even yeah. e- even if uh, we, we end up giving each other coronavirus and both dying of it we will be recording that and i'll be fucking i'll be fucking talking about the black widow movie on my fucking deathbed okay? <laughs> And, and, and arguing why it's a five-star masterpiece. I can't wait. Not for your death, but just to hear your, hear your <laughs> <What> thoughts. Co- <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you clarified that. Dark. Uh, all right, friends. All right. See you next time. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Let's do it. You can try for years and years to get a movie made. In this case, it only got made when I really wasn't trying to get it made. I'd written the script years before it got passed around and then eventually somebody I didn't know sold it to um, somebody else who sold it to someone else and then um, they came looking for me at which point this being 1989 I'd, being ahead of my time I joined a fundamentalist guerrilla group and I was in Afghanistan at that point in time they were against, they were against smoking and I was hoping it would, it would enable me to cut down a little and um, in fact they were vastly hypocritical and smoked heavily in real life but, um, the long and the short of it is, um, was only after the um, Soviet withdrawal and the battle for Jalalabad started that um, my cameraman got hit by shrapnel and we ended up in a, back in Pakistan in the hospital. Uh, the guy who tried to trace us from London finally got through on the telephone. He was extremely angry because it took taken a long time to find us and he used a lot of F-words. And there'd been a lot of people dying in the previous days and amputations and burns and bits and pieces and uh, I was very intolerant and sort of swore back to him and hung up. And um, then um, Paul Tribitz, the guy who later ended up running the film council, actually hired my ex-girlfriend to get me back to eventually get me to sign the document which assigned the rights to the book. It was a tricky business and um, really only happened uh, pretty much against my will. And then we got, got transplanted very rapidly from Afghanistan to the, the roundhouse in Camden. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.